0: it's time that's right everyone it is time for another episode of the black and blue pod i'm your host as always matthew mclaughlin and i'll be taking you through my big five college football games to watch this upcoming weekend Let's get right into it. Kicking off in the twelve o'clock window, we have number nineteen Virginia Tech going up against number eight North Carolina. ESPN's FPI only gave uh, the Tar Heels a forty-seven point seven percent chance to win this game, which really surprised me, given that this is at uh, Chapel Hill. um, UNC's two and zero; they're in the top ten, and I think that this is very disrespectful. I think UNC is going to win this one pretty handily. And I'm not sold on Virginia Tech this early in the season. Um, the spread is currently Virginia minus, or excuse me, not Virginia Tech. UNC minus three and a half points. The over-under is at 57 and a half. I think UNC covers that pretty handily. I got a final score of UNC 35, Virginia Tech. Uh, 28. I think it'll be a good game, but I think UNC is going to pull it out in the end. Um, moving on, we have the number four ranked Florida Gators going up against the 21 ranked Texas A&M Aggies. Now, as much as I would love to give Texas a and M a a shot in this game, I don't think they have a shot at all. We just saw them get demolished by Alabama. Granted, it was Alabama, but still, Florida is looking... Uh, like it's firing on all cylinders offensively. The Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts connection is something to behold. It looks as explosive a combination as there is across the country, and Florida is only favored by five points, which, I mean, is very surprising given that it's at A and M. I would expect at least a touchdown, but you know, Gators are favored by five. The over under is at fifty eight. Um, Yeah, I think Florida's offense is rolling at this point. If they can get that defense to shore up the defensive line and get that rushing down, the rushing yards allowed down, they're currently at 143.5 yards per game. If they can get that down to about, I think, even 120, 110-ish, if they can even get that below sub-100, that would be a huge boost for Florida's chances come uh, playoff selection time so i got florida gainers winning this one uh 33 to uh 27 so i'm yeah that's right i'm gonna take the under 33 to 27 i think that this is gonna be again another close one but i think that the score doesn't reflect the actual game i think florida is gonna dominate this one pretty pretty easily um and moving on to the 330 window, we have number 14, Tennessee, at number 3, Univer- Georgia. Excuse me, number 3, Georgia. Um, Tennessee's currently ranked number 14. They're 2-0, and but we've seen this before where Tennessee does get high into the top 15, and then they run into a tough SEC opponent. We saw it in past years with quarterbacks such as Josh Dobbs, and then they would just get absolutely either blown out or went on miracles. So I'm not necessarily sold on the volunteers, and Georgia is just firing on all cylinders on both sides of the ball. Stetson Bennett has looked amazing so far as the quarterback, even though there is some quarterback drama for Georgia. I think Stetson Bennett is the guy to go with the rest of the way just because in a COVID season, you got to go with the hot hand, um, especially when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are – uh chomping at the bit to try and uh upset some people and get into the playoff picture. So I think Georgia's gonna be winning this one uh mainly due to that defense. That defense is incredible. Only allowing fifty eight rushing yards a game and 190 passing yards a game. Uh they're putting together a special season on the defensive side of the ball and hopefully that defense can show up in the playoff. Uh right now Georgia is favored by twelve and a half points. The over-under is at forty two and a half I'm actually going to take the over on this one. I think it's going to be final score, Georgia 30, uh, Tennessee 17. I think that if Tennessee can even get 17 points, which may be a bit of a stretch. um, So big SEC matchup going into this week. Uh, A big game that I'm keeping an eye on this week because it's a potential upset is in the 330 slate we have texas tech at number 24 iowa state iowa state came into the season ranked in the top 25 and then they lost to louisiana tech and texas tech is i mean if that defense could actually play and not be a bunch of cardboard cutouts like on the field against texas they're two and one have a ranked win i mean i think that if A couple of ways, if a couple of things went their way, the Red Raiders would definitely be in the top 25 or at least looking at the top 25. And I think that Iowa State um, is on upset alert again this week. Um, And it's going to be, I think that Iowa State's a little overrated in this one. Uh, Iowa State's favored by 11.5 points, but the over unders at 64.5. And I think that's going to hit the over. If you like offense, then this is the perfect game for you. Um, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, especially when you're looking at these two defenses. Uh, Texas Tech is allowing almost 500 yards a game uh, defensively, and Iowa State's allowing almost 400 yards a game. So it's going to be an offensive-filled show. And if I have to choose one offense to be able to score points late down the stretch, I'm going to pick the Red Raiders because they can strike at any moment. Uh, So I'm going to take – Texas Tech in an upset. Um, I think it's gonna be Red Raiders forty-five, Iowa State 40. It's gonna be a fun game to watch, and I would definitely keep an eye out for that game uh as the day goes on. So uh, and finally the primetime game for this week at seven thirty PM Eastern Standard Time. We have the number seven Miami Hurricanes going up against the number one Clemson Tigers. ESPN-FBI is giving Clemson an 86% chance to win this game. And as much as I would love to see uh, Miami pull off an upset, I think that Clemson is just on a whole nother level. I mean, defensively, they could use some improvement, but I don't think they can get much better defensively. Miami's offense is explosive, but it centers around quarterback De'Ara King. And I think he's going to get shut down. And when you shut the Eric King down, I think a lot of the offense uh, starts to stall out. And they can't get anything going offensively. So, I mean, the spread is tough. My Clemson uh, is favored by 14.5 points. And the over-under is at 60.5. It, I think this is going to be a really close game. I have a feeling that it's going to be close. I don't think that Clemson is necessarily going to cover the spread in this one. Um, but I would not be surprised to see Clemson win over at the end of the game. I mean, I think final score-wise, I got Clemson winning this one um, probably in the 40 to uh, 35 range. I think that's good. I mean, it's just all a matter of will this turn into a shootout uh, between De'Ara King and Trevor Lawrence, or will Clemson's defense uh, try and stop uh, De'Ara King before he ever gets going? So, We're going to see the creativity of the Hurricanes offense in this one because, you know, Clemson's going to be getting every punch that they can take and Miami's going to be throwing everything but the kitchen sink and probably including the kitchen sink, honestly, in this one. So so those are my five big games to watch this week. Um, I'm just going to wrap up with some quick hitters. Uh, At 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we have... Number two, Alabama against Ole Miss. Alabama's favored by 23. The over-under is set at 69. I would actually take Ole Miss in this one just because the spread is so heavy. And I don't know if Alabama is necessarily going to cover 23 points. I think that's a a bit of a stretch. I love this offense with uh, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Jalen Waddles. But 23 points is a lot. And as for the over-under... I mean, 70 points may be tough, but we're going to see how experimental Lane Kiffin's going to be. I would take the under in this one just because Alabama's defense is similar to Clemson's on another level right now, and I'm not expecting uh, Lane Kiffin's offense to necessarily get going against this Crimson Tide. I think it's going to take at least a couple years for Lane Kiffin to get some success in the SEC, given how competitive it is, but... We're going to see this week. Um, And meanwhile, the Alabama game is going to be kicking off. We have uh, Florida State at number five, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is favored by three touchdowns at 21 points. The over-under is set at 54. I think this Florida State team is really scrappy, and Ian Book hasn't really sold me yet on his potential to unlock the offense of the Fighting Irish this season. He only has one touchdown, uh, he's 31 for 50 407 yards which which isn't necessarily eye-popping stats but i mean he's a game manager and i'm not sold on him to necessarily have notre dame pl- putting up um like over th- over 40 points in this one um and, and i think this is a flo- a scrappy florida state team like i said earlier uh Tamori and Terry has been an excellent wide receiver for them. He has 12 receptions for 129 yards. Um, if they can get him going and get him in the end zone, I think that's going to be a huge boost. Um, but as for the spread, I'm going to pick Florida State because I don't think Notre Dame is going to cover. And as for the over-under set at 54 points, I think that it's going to hit the under. Um, I think this could be a... Um, a dogfight and I think it's going to come down to who has last possession or who's going to make the last stop so um, those are my picks and those are my quick hitters hope you guys all enjoyed them Uh, in this episode I'm going to be uh, talking to Terry City Um, I hope you guys all enjoyed the interview Uh, it was one of the best interviews I've ever done Um, we talked about the Steelers the Eagles Tumblr Twitter anything I mean it was awesome conversation i just want you guys to listen to it and hopefully you enjoy it so um, have a good weekend and hopefully we get some good football all right guys welcome back to another episode of the black and blue pod i am very excited for this interview i am with a class of 1990 penn state alum i don't know if you want me to tell them that but you know it was in my (laughs) research so i'm gonna tell them anyway Uh, mr terry city he is the co-founder of Steel Titan Media Company with my previous guest, Kamen Grant. Uh, they are actually married together, very happily married. Uh, former, he is the former vice president of Brand Partnerships and Technology at Vice Media. He is a former vice president of BuzzFeed. He is the current vice president of Brand Partnerships at Tumblr. And he's helped build up countless media companies. And he's a fantastic executive producer working on The Boy and Playing for the Mob, which we covered in my last podcast terry thank you for coming on to the show really appreciate it how are you doing
1: uh handling this COVID thing so far hey man first of all thanks for the 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 wonderful introduction i think you you covered a lot in that (laughs) (laughs) i've been involved in a lot over the last few years uh look the, the the COVID thing is 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 i think interesting for everyone you know depending on your your perspective, your, your, your home life, living situation, you know, work-life balance, kids, et cetera. It's been crazy. Uh, you know, been adjusting a lot of zoom calls, I'm sure. uh, you know, a lot of balancing homeschooling kids and, and, <laughs> and work. Uh, but you know, look, everybody's uh, healthy, so that's all that matters. <laughs> that's definitely a positive. I,
0: uh, my brother actually just, they just had, He and his wife had their first kid this past week. Oh, wow. Um, Unfortunately, I couldn't see him yet, but, you know, I'll get there once we get home. And, you know, it was kind of weird being like, I'm 18 years old and I'm already an uncle. So that was a little (laughs) weird, but, you know, it's a fun time.
1: I was too. I was no. I was an uncle at twenty. So not yeah,
0: it's months. weird. I was, sick,
1: I was sixteen
0: already going to weddings and stuff, and I was like, "This is this is grown up stuff. I shouldn't be doing this right now."
1: Yeah, tell me it's,
0: about it. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. thankfully, Penn State has handled this pretty well. You know, mitigating yeah. uh, people with testing and giving them the option to go home to quarantine. So been pretty good so far and hopefully football can turn us turn us around a little bit and get us going um right so i was looking looking you up of course as I would say I'm paid to do, but I'm not. So <laughs> as my curiosity grew, I noticed that you were from the Philly area, but you're also a Steelers fan. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? I mean, yeah. I got to ask that right <laughs> off of the bat.
1: But don't, don't worry. Everyone always asks that. So, you know, as a kid, I'm obviously much older than you, Um <laughs> kid um, in philly in the philly area the afc game you got every week was the steelers and the nfc game you got were the eagles well in the 70s the eagles stunk. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i countless you know times hearing my dad and my older brothers who also went to penn state uh talk about how horrible the Eagles were, they were bums. (laughs) My dad used to call the Eagles bums all the time and uh on the flip side the steelers were winners like they won my first football game was actually the first super bowl the steelers played in the first game i ever watched on tv was actually a steelers super bowl so they won and then they won again the next year and then <laughs> a couple of years in between and then they won again two more times so by the time i was 12 the steelers had won four super bowls so as a, as a young, impressionable kid, like you sort of gravitated to the, the winning team at the time, which you got to see every week. Uh, on the flip side, the Eagles were horrible. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Invincible with Mark. Yeah, Walker. I have. It, that, they were that bad that they were yeah. ha- having open tryouts. <laughs> so, so I kind of gravitated to the black and gold. Now, I, I must preface this by saying I am still an Eagles fan. I, I I follow the Eagles like every weekend. I know their roster as well as I know the Steelers roster. I was, you know, almost brought to tears when they won the Super Bowl <laughs> years back. But uh, I bleed black and gold, man. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Philly all day on everything else. Phillies, Flyers, Sixers. Uh, oh, uh, my God. Don't even get me started on this. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Those
0: Sixers teams, oh, my gosh. Underachievers. Were you, underachievers. <laughs> Were you watching that playoff series with the Celtics and thinking the Absolutely. same thing I was? It was like, I last
1: wanted to just, like, jump off a bridge. Like, this is yes. just so infuriating. Every game, watch it wishing we had Jimmy Butler back on the team and, <gasps> and actually had last year's roster, which I thought last year's roster was 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 much better suited to go further. This was the year – that last year's roster could have actually made it to the NBA Finals. I know. Um, if Kawhi didn't, which most yeah. people
0: forget, Kawhi traveled on that inbound he play. He traveled and the he refs did. missed it. A lot of, of people thought about that. And, of course, he have to go <laughs> and, and now he has to name a shoe after it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's always the only way. Um, so – Again, thank you for taking the time out to do this. Um, so what got you interested in media production? Cause you co-founded Steel Titan. Yep. You've been involved in so many projects. What was that always as a kid, you were like
1: captivated by movies or documentaries like that type of stuff? Um, as, as a kid, look, I was a huge movie buff. Um, I went to the movies as often as I could. Uh, in the, in Philly, they would have like triple feature movies. You can go to see for like a buck and, you know, a lot of Bruce Lee films, you know, but obviously, you know, obviously the, you know, going to the movies was a a family thing. I went with my older brothers all the time, uh, a huge TV watcher, probably consumed way too much TV as a kid, but you know, TV was the, was the babysitter back then. Um, so yeah, I had a, a huge, a huge craving for the the industry. You know, when I got into high school, I, you know, I had interest in the entertainment industry, but there wasn't really anything that you could really gravitate to uh in high school back then. But if you look at my it, it look at my yearbook, it, sa- it says that my aspirations were to become a television newscaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to be actually in front of the camera back then. And then uh, obviously when I got to Penn State, I, you know, was a communications major. I wanted to, you know, get into the, you know, that side of the business, took a lot of television. It was called, uh, back then it was, you uh, it was like communications, but it was television, radio, I think it was called, or something like that. So I was actually, I went to a branch campus for for a year in Altoona, and I was actually president of the radio station there. And then when I got to main campus, you know, I got more into the television side through classes and things like that. Mm-hmm. I actually produced a show for CNET. Is CNET still around? The local, it was a, it was a local, <laughs> it was like a local cable station called CNET. Makes and sense. I did, I produced and edited a music magazine show called Soundcheck. <laughs> and, um, worked, uh, as, uh, you know, any communications related job I could get like ESPN would come to town and, uh, they would hire communication students to work, uh, basketball games and hockey games. And I would hold boom mics, I would help people edit the show. Uh, I worked on the Penn State Hockey Show for a while. I did everything I could to to really hone my, my skills on the communication side. so it was always there, you know since since a kid. Yeah,
0: I, me personally, I've always been attracted to sports, and originally. I felt the same way as you where I wanted to be in front of the camera and right. I wanted to be the guy breaking down all the games for the people watching or listening back home. Yeah. And then I real, like, as time goes on, this business has changed like probably 30 trillion times in like oh, two God. days. like <laughs> the yeah. rapid rate of change is incredible. Yeah. And you know, how did you manage, um, like, because for me personally trying to juggle school, uh, extracurriculars, all that stuff, while you're still pursuing careers. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you deal with that, especially when that's sort of like one of the, I guess, the twilight of the glory days of Penn State football in the 90s? You know, yep. you have those legendary teams with Joe Paterno. Yeah. How did... Like I if I was if I was there back then, I wouldn't have done I wouldn't have cared about any homework at all, probably. (laughs) I would have been like, just get me to Saturday, get me to game day and I'll be good. So how did Um, you manage trying to chase
1: those career paths and school and everything else? Well, my 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 alternative career path, which was my primary career path when I came to Penn State, was to play football. So I actually came to Penn State to play football. Uh, I did not get recruited by Penn State, unfortunately. I got recruited by Rutgers, Syracuse, Clemson, who was a, on probation at the time, not very good. Uh, not the Clemson you know today. Um, I, w- I was like, look, I'm going to go to Penn State and I'm going to walk on. Um, and the reason why is my bro- my two older brothers went to Penn State. So mm. as a as a 12 year old, 13 year old, I was actually visiting my older brothers at Penn state. Like, so that was like, that's where I wanted to go. Uh, unfortunately I got hurt and the football thing never materialized. Like I thought it would. I, <laughs> I discovered partying at Penn state. <laughs> discovered which. a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, So, uh, so yeah, you know, I became uh, more of a spectator than a player and, uh, but befriended many uh, guys that were on the team. That was kind of like a a circle of friends that I had at the time. So I felt like I was connected uh, to the team, although I wasn't playing. Um, But, uh, you know, look, when I went to school, there weren't as many distractions as there are today you know there you know there's social media now there's different ways to do things and communicate with the world uh there was less distractions uh and less ability to gather information and get information and and and, and push information out so you were kind of singularly focused on, on what you wanted to do o- outside of partying. <laughs> <laughs> that may, that may get I, you sidetracked a little bit. We just got to get back I, the it, it got me off track many, many days. Um, I didn't really have a lot of distractions. I was hell bent on, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do after school uh, once I graduated. So uh, I, I, communications was a fun major, you know i i got to go around town with video cameras and 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 interview people and i had lots of great projects that i worked on uh so that it was easy for me to stay kind of focused uh on like the goal at hand now <laughs> what what i did didn't realize that after school, you don't necessarily always get the job you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if uh, ESPN going to be knocking on my door anytime soon. Right, so. right. There wasn't like the networking capabilities that you have today. The, back then there was no LinkedIn. There was no way to figure out who, you know, what alumni were in the industry that you could reach out to and, and connect with. You know, today, You have programs like the Penn State Hollywood program, which uh, as a junior, you can enter. I'm actually on the board of of the program um, that's out here in L.A. You know, there are students that get to come out here for a semester and work in the industry. And, and network. And we've helped many students that were in the, in the program get jobs at HBO and production companies and, and Disney and ABC. Like we didn't have that back then. So it was a, a, a bit of a maze or a labyrinth to kind of get to where I am today and had a lot of shitty jobs, had some <laughs> fun jobs. Um, but it was sort of hit or miss, (laughs) you know, on trial and error. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I realized after spending some time in Miami, I spent many years living there, which is actually uh, where uh, my wife lived right around the corner from me and I didn't know it. (laughs) Um, Literally, we, we lived right around the corner from each other, but did not meet until we both were in LA. Nice. I I realized after working for Anheuser-Busch that if I want to really get in the entertainment industry, I need to be in Los Angeles. So that was sort of the primary move that I needed to make. Uh, but I didn't figure that out until I was like 26.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. takes a minute to get there. But once you do get there, um, yeah, I mean, you have had one of the most credible careers that I've researched. I mean, you go from small marketing rapid, and Anheuser-Busch to now you're, Doing contributing major to major outlets such as Tumblr, um, BuzzFeed, etc. Yep. yep. Now we're seeing, especially with sports, I've noticed we're seeing an alternative, like underground, mm-hmm. of sports coverage, especially with yeah. distractions like you said, YouTube, uh, Twitter, etc. <laughs> One of my personal favorite shows to watch is the Pat McAfee Show. I don't know if you've. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think what makes that show so great is um, that he goes off script, he goes, you know, where he wants to go with it and that freedom. Right. How do you bring that to a college campus to encourage students to explore that? Because personally, I felt like you need to be tailored, you need to be clean cut, you know, Mm -hmm. you you have these things. And, (laughs) and i So you're already shaking your head no, and I'm just, that's why, because I want like college kids to realize that myself included is that, you know, you don't have to be robotic, you don't have to be this uh, professional all the time, you can do your own ventures. How are you bringing those attitudes to like the companies that you're saying, they're working at now saying like, listen, we got to look at these college kids and just let them explore.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, one of the first things uh, that I realized when I helped start BuzzFeed out here and, out and, and on the West Coast is when I went out to talk to different companies and different brands about possibly, you know, sponsoring things on BuzzFeed and, and advertising on BuzzFeed. Uh, is look the days of polished content and overproduced content uh, where you have the best visual effects and the best lighting and the best sound, those days are over. That's not how the younger generation is consuming media right now. You know, they, they barely watch TV. They're, they're online. They're looking at funny videos that their friends did on YouTube. And back when Vine was a thing, now it's TikTok. but that's the stuff that the younger generation is watching now. They're not watching. I mean, obviously there's programming with Game of Thrones and, you know, things like that that people love, but the majority of their time is spent watching unproduced, unpolished, you know, authentic content. You know, people are being their authentic selves and that's what audiences are gravitating to yeah definitely i mean authenticity is key which is why i loved starting
0: this podcast because i got to be myself i could you know try and be who i want to be and cover the topics that i want to cover and you know it's tough because i think there is like the rest of the world that are these executive producers are lagging behind a little bit not through any fault of their own They're just trying to stick with the successful business model. It's
1: old school. It's an old school way of thinking and it's, it's was proven successful in the past. Yeah. And it can be kind of terrifying to go away from that. Right. Exactly. So you have, you know, you're finding these executives are now hiring, you know, a younger generation of executives that sort of understands what the audience wants. And, and it is that on authenticity. It's also, you know, people are figuring out that what you think you only like and the stuff that you wanna talk about, there's like millions of other people who can- <laughs>
0: exactly
1: you do. And you, you know, they're like, Oh my God. I mean, that's why Tumblr was uh, uh, has been successful and has the audience that it has is because people are being their authentic selves. They're not on Tumblr because they want people to see what they're having for dinner and seeing what vacations they're going on. They're on Tumblr because they want, they, they, it's a place for creative expression that other people feel the same way and they're passionate about you know you know japanese anime and all of these you know all of these you know random topics that you think are random but there's also a huge audience out there that loves this stuff and has passion about it too
0: yeah exactly i mean pretty much like Tumblr, Reddit, I noticed too. Yep. Reddit was, as well. Yeah. Like these communities where like, yeah, we all like the same things. What's wrong with that? Yep. And
1: what's wrong with that?
0: Yeah. And I think there's nothing wrong with like bringing some kids out who are thinking outside of the box and just saying, "Hey, why don't we try this and bring this to the audience?" Like it's worth a shot at least. And I think yeah. you know, how, how do you Go I guess when you're working on these projects and you're like trying to talk to these executives is it very hard to convince them to be willing to go outside of that box?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you find very few executives that are willing to uh, take a leap from what they've been doing, you know, the past 20, 30 years. Uh, there are some challengers, out there that want to sort of break the mold and experiment and and those are the the brands and those are the the, the shows uh, and the, and that's the content that's breaking through right now uh, People want to see something different like the with the way technology is changing so fast and interest in what consumers want to uh, uh, consume you have to constantly be thinking about what's next, what's new. Uh, and if you're not, you're going to get left behind. Period. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's like a guy like Howard
0: Stern. He is constantly reinventing himself because yep. he has no idea what he's going to say the next day. Yeah. He's going to say whatever comes to his head. Yeah, and it's It's definitely served as a model. And then the challenge becomes – okay, how do we avoid an oversaturation of people sounding like Howard Stern? And right. sounding right. like, which, like you said, the authenticity is gone because they're trying to do what they think is
1: successful by doing this, which isn't themselves. Right. So, it's, it's you, know, I've, you know, I've constantly tried to have my ear close to the ground and work for companies that are, you know, reaching the younger generation, um it just it keep it keeps me relevant i mean you you look at actors you know like will smith for instance who you know is, is my age we actually went to high school together um well he he is on play flex but okay that's <laughs> no, that's, yeah. awesome. that's that's respect right there i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> no i I, okay. I actually i actually consult for his, his company um that's he, uh, he is on TikTok. He is on Instagram. You know, yes. he, he's a movie star. He, you know, just did Bad Boys, which was a huge success for him, but had some misses uh, in between that. But he realized, look, if I want to stay relevant to a, a younger audience, I need to be on these platforms. And he does a great job of getting his brand out there to to younger viewers or even viewers you know my age as well that I'm gonna stay relevant. I'm gonna be on TikTok. I'm gonna have the, you know an Instagram presence. I'm gonna, you know, be where the audience is. And I think that you need to do that.
0: So going back to Will Smith
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't I can't shake this. Have you been
0: uh approached about a about the potential reboot that
1: has been rumored Lately, about the reboot of oh, Fresh Prince, Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, no, I mean I know about it. Obviously, uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, if I got an insider on the reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel Air, no, it's. I think uh, I guess HBO, ah, was HBO, HBO Max, I think, is going to to be uh, doing it. Um, they just recently did a promotion. Uh, they're actually teamed up with Airbnb. I don't know if you know about this, but you could actually rent out the 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 Bel Air house that was the facade for the show. So <laughs> you, could, you could rent it out for a night, and uh, they did a big promotion around that, which was cool. Brought back the cast for a little reunion. So of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: will Smith is one of those French Prince of Bel-Air is going to be one of those timeless shows. That's never, I don't think is ever going to go out of style for the most part. You make fun of the fashion, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the writing uh, behind it is much better than I, the- I,
1: I got. I got a funny story for you about, about that show. So when the show launched, I think it was 1990, 1990, 1991, um my mom who's no longer alive uh called me up and she says isn't that your friend from high school and i'm like yeah that's that's will like you know she she knew she was familiar with his music and he he had you know dropped a couple albums by then and she's like you should be on that show and i'm like well that's nice but that's not how it (laughs) works she's like can you just call him and like tell me you want to be on the show, I'm like, no, mom, no. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> she just thought I could call him and he could be like, yeah, sure, come on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll fly you out. It'll be, it'll be good. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in in, in a few years, and no, it doesn't work like that. I was gonna say, if acting worked like that, a lot of actors would be employed. <laughs> I would yeah. definitely bring down actor unemployment by right. far. Right. Um, So, I mean, yeah, like, to me as an 18 year old growing up in the 2000s, I mean, the 90s just represent both such a great era of culture. And like, there's, there's some bad spots, obviously, like any other decade. But the 90s for me as like a hip hop fan. I, oh oh my God, the 90s, Tribe Called Quest, Nas, Jay-Z, Tupac, all those guys. What was that like growing up in that culture?
1: Yeah, it was, it's a huge culture shift because for a number of reasons, a hip hop became mainstream and shows like In Living Color and The Fresh Prince um, really brought that culture to, to television and you saw this huge shift where when when I was growing up in the 80s, white kids didn't listen to hip hop like that wasn't like a huge thing. Uh, the Beastie Boys changed that a little bit with their first album, Licensed to Ill, but the 90s was this explosion of like hip hop is cool and and, you know, it was OK. You know, uh, you know, it, you know, kids were listening to it in college and in high school and it became a thing. Obviously, Eminem came in. There was like, the, you know, Beastie Boys and M brought like the white rapper to to the scene and to the forefront and that even more kids could identify with hip hop and rap. But, man, it was a, a a huge culture shift to be out and and see white cats like, you know, <laughs> you know knowing all the words to like hip-hop and rap songs and we where that wasn't the case necessarily in the 80s it was kind of exclusively black music but at, at any time with hip-hop and rap they were selling the amount of records cds or whatever at the time because white suburban kids were buying <laughs> those records that's who you know that was fueling the sales of those records exactly yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I remember I remember listening to Straight Out of Compton for the first time and my head just imploded. I was like, like
1: What was, is this? Everyone's head imploded. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like I was like, Holy Yeah. I, yeah. Oh. Being and, a being a East Coast kid, you know, hearing West Coast rappers rap about you know what they were rapping about, you're like, yo these cats, they ain't they not fucking around. Like, <laughs> no, they're I'm not. they like, no, these dudes look like they will actually fucking kill you. <laughs> no, 100%. Like, man, it was
0: I like, the, crazy. If I were in the 90s, I'd be like, we thought New York was bad. We got to look out right. a little bit. Like,
1: But New York, New York, the hip-hop scene and the rap scene in New York and even a little bit of Philly, it was all like braggadocious. It was all about neighborhoods and i got mines and i can get the ladies and i got you know whatever i got nice cars and jewelry it was very uh, it was a very braggadocious and somewhat educational uh tip too with like krs1 and public enemy which had a social conscious consciousness to it but when west coast rap hit that was a wave unlike any other yeah (laughs) Yeah, because i mean like you,
0: you alluded to public enemy and they're one of my favorite duos of all time just because of their, like really just their pure rawness and just absolutely just, mm-hmm. we're going to say whatever we want to say. Yep. And yep. I think it's an issue that still kind of happens today where it's like, we're not willing to necessarily listen to other people's perspectives. Oh, and, yeah. Definitely. I mean, <laughs> it's, I talked this a little bit about. I talked about this a little bit with your wife on the last podcast, and you know, I was a little. I didn't handle it the best way, but you know, these race conversations are definitely very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but what do you say to people? How do you counter argue someone who says, you know, my my uh, ancestors were Italian immigrants, Irish immigrants. I you know, know, we were European. We didn't necessarily get involved in what transpired before us. right? I mean, that's always a frequent counterpoint that I've um, been approached with. And my philosophy on it is that is completely fine. I'm not saying you are racist, obviously. That's not at all what I want to say. And as someone with a relative in police force, it's a Mm -hmm. tough balance. And Mm -hmm. what is your philosophy on those people who say like, listen, my great grandparents were Italian. I didn't, I don't necessarily want to get involved in this.
1: Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a human rights issue. It's, it's a, it's a fairness issue. It's an equality issue and you may not be racist. Uh, but if you, if you can't be an ally to a fellow American who is just seeking to be treated equally, then I I take issue with that. Uh, you, you know, you don't have to be. You, you don't. It's about being anti-racist. It's mm-hmm. about saying, you know what, this is wrong, and I support I support you in this cause. You know, maybe I don't know what to do, maybe I don't know what to say, but I agree with you, Just and that I agree. Right. Yeah. I agree that your life matters as much as mine. And, you know, although there's been a lot said about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, there there are factions of Black Lives Matter movement that may be very anti-police. There are factions that are, that have done things that are not so, you know, you know, favorable in the public eye. But, the, the genesis of the movement is just simply like our lives matter, uh, just like yours. It's not like we deserve better. It's not like our lives matter more. It's just that our lives matter too. <laughs> and it's all about the way uh, Black people as a whole have been treated for centuries over time uh, that have... Some to do with police brutality, some has to do with housing discrimination, some has to do with job dis- discrimination, some has to do with uh, inequities in our educational systems that affect uh you know poor black neighborhoods more than you know the the sub- suburban neighborhoods i think it's a collective a collective uh issue it's not just i mean maybe it can't stemmed or, or originated out of uh, some uh police brutality but in essence, it's a lot of different things yeah. in terms of that movement. And in terms of cops, like I have friends that are cops. I think law enforcement, for the most part, uh, are, are, are good folks and do a great job and protect the communities that they, they they do and they do it well. But there's some really bad fucking cops out there. Exactly. And yeah. it's about more of the culture that protects the bad apples instead of getting rid of those bad apples. Because what it does, it just brings down the overall perception of police, which is is somewhat unfair um, to the guys who go out there and put on the uniform and do their job the right way. Um, It's about getting, you know, uh, training cops and having cops feel as though they may have some inherent biases. That affect how they police the communities that they're in, uh, and you know, there's been a lot of discussion around that uh, around having uh, having uh, that relationship with the community encourage more people within their commu- that community to become law enforcement, so they can come up, you know, in the ranks and serve that community that they grew up in and know how to police that community and have that sort of relationship there. So there's a lot of different things that yeah
0: it's can, it's know. a whole mess and yeah. you know i think if you can like with whenever i have these discussions with family members i try and take baby steps and i'm not saying my family is like completely shutting this idea down and everything because obviously not um but it's a tough discussion to have and i it think you need to be able to take i think we're in the process hopefully as a society we can take those baby steps at least right now to be like, listen, I, I acknowledge that this is such a big issue, right? But it's, I don't know what to do because I don't know how to face this type of problem.
1: And, and, and most people in your shoes don't. Uh, I know I I had a post on Facebook right after the George Floyd um, killing and you know it was a bit of a rant but really what it did is open up the door to some of my white friends that didn't necessarily know i felt this way to kind of reach out and i had some friends like i just thought i'd check in and i i want to talk to you because i'm i've been uncomfortable about this subject in the past and i i feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing and I don't want to offend you. And I'm like, no, I was like, look, this is, this is, this is the first step. This, look, it might be uncomfortable, but that's okay. You might say the wrong thing with no ill intention, but let me help walk you through how that might come off to someone of color. Um, And for the most part, you know, if, if you're white, you're and you grow up in a predominantly white neighborhood you go off to, to school your interactions with with other black people will be from a school perspective well i got friends i hang out and i drink with them and i party with them and i you know i i know some football players or athletes that are black or then and you get in the working world you have black coworkers and they're great people, and you go to happy hours with them, and you guys share water cooler talk and whatever. But that's typically where the conversation ends. Very few conversations dive into the sort of racial uh, conversation. I, again, most of the people that were reaching out to me after that post were people that I worked with before, mm-hmm. and the, the conversation never came up. And quite frankly, you know, no to nobody's fault. Usually there's an incident like George Floyd that spurs that conversation. But this was going on, obviously, for a long time before George Floyd. But I think the fact that everyone was hunkered down in their home, couldn't go anywhere, but everyone saw it and had to deal with it. everyone no sports, had sports were put on pause no sports exactly. there was no distractions other than the news, and that sort of forced everyone to you know kind of uh do some you know inner you know, searching about how they feel about this and the conversation that's going on around it. So you are, you're not alone, but the fact that you're willing to take baby steps and have that conversation is is the first step to sort of understanding someone else's perspective on it. And then it helps you have that conversation after some things that you've learned with a family member or a friend that may not uh, feel the same way. So um, it's all about learning and understanding at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's all a give or take, like, listen, I'll give you my perspective and maybe I can learn something from you. And exactly. It's just a process. And hopefully, you know, we're on track to go through that process and hopefully they improve on the back end of it. But, you know, now we see uh, NFL players, obviously taking knees at the national Anthem. We saw, soccer players. We saw the Milwaukee Bucks even walk out of a playoff game. If you, I mean, I hate to ask this hypothetical question, but if you were obviously in college at this point in time, I mean, would you have, I mean, I guess, tried to convince some of your football player friends like how would those i guess discussions like would you be protesting like how would you have handled like
1: this type of environment if you were in college today Yeah no that's a good that's a really a very good question cuz i think the athletes that are that are protesting and speaking out right now obviously some of them feel as though there there could be some backlash and there could be a lot at risk. I think athletes over time have felt that. So that's probably why so few have spoken out. Uh, You know, guys like Ali, uh, who was, you know, someone who came out early on and didn't care what he had to lose. And especially,
0: um, expe- hate to, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but especially when you're thrown in college and, yeah. you know, these guys, they want to get to the next level, the next level. It, the NBA, next- NFL, NHL, yeah. whatever it is they don't want to put that draft status in jeopardy most yeah. of the time i'm not
1: yeah. i don't want to me, yeah me to out. yeah me today with the with the the mind i have today yes i would be i would totally be down with the cause i would totally be having those conversations i would totally protest uh you know uh me at 18 19 20 years old i don't know Yeah, really don't know. So the guys that are doing it now at a young age, uh, I applaud them uh, because it's it's not easy. Uh, I think, you know, when you're an athlete, people love what you do on the field or on the court, uh, but they they don't give a shit about what your politics are and they don't want to hear what you have to say at times so it's it's a it's a difficult situation i i I know some professional athletes and former athletes that I know are getting beat up uh uh and getting into like social media arguments with yeah. you know fans or now former fans because they've loved what they've done on the field and you you love how this athlete makes you feel when they score a touchdown or hit a three pointer but like when you got something to say about how you feel personally and the things that you care about. They're like, eh, you know, screw you. You're a spoiled athlete. You're this, you're that. Like nobody cares what you think. You know, mm-hmm. shut up and dribble, that kind of, that attitude. So yeah. look, these, these guys are human first. They're Americans. They, they want equality. You know, it's, you need to hear them out, man. They're, they're not doing this because it's a popular thing to do.
0: You know. Yeah, exactly. And I think what's made Ali, who you're wearing a shirt of, it's great, uh, great segue. Um, it's, I mean, Ali was in the perfect sport if you were to pick a sport to protest in and bring attention, especially when you're talking about the 60s and 70s, right. when there's so much turmoil and upheaval going on. Absolutely. It's, it's tough because when I watch a football game, I'm watching the Philadelphia Eagles against you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, for instance. Right. It's a team against a team. You right. want to see the team win. Yeah. And whoever messes that up will ruin your week. I've yep. been in that position. I know. <laughs> it, it's it's tough. Yeah. So yeah. I mean this week is
1: kinda like eh. Yeah. Oh my God.
0: Actually, the, amount, yeah. the amount of times I've been screaming at my TV because of a receiver dropped the ball or something stupid, yeah. you know. Right. And I think it's like hopefully we can realize that like sports are sports at the end of the day, they're not going to help us get a job or something like okay. it's just, you're watching a game and these are yeah. people playing a game. Exactly. And as much as, as much as I'm a fan, I mean, we gotta, we gotta take a chill pill a little bit. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Look at, at the end of the day, like these guys, uh, they have families, you know, they have, they have relatives and you may see them as the, the you know rich spoiled athlete, but look, the you know the, the things that are uh, that they're protesting about and the things that are concerning to them it affect their friends who are not rich, affect their families uh, and cousins who may live in a neighborhood not as nice as them that are experiencing things that they don't have to worry about because they live in a gated community, but. It's not just about them. It's it's about you know equality as a whole, and you know people need to realize that it's it's just not about them uh, when they're out there speaking their mind on these topics. So, yeah, I mean,
0: it's it's a tough issue, but hopefully we can go through that process. And like I said earlier, hopefully we can improve. Um, yeah. So, segueing out of a serious
1: conversation. Yeah. Um, oh, good. A good podcast goes in and out, man <laughs>
0: we're going with the flow a little bit you know you gotta you gotta yeah. be you gotta be adapted um back to Penn State uh just for some fun shits and giggles do you have any memorable stories of like Penn State games or like Joe Paterno stories like anything that sticks out in your mind over your four years?
1: oh man
0: that would not possibly like <laughs> Put you in a bad light i guess i should have prefaced that with non-r-rated stories uh, i mean, if they, no, they're I, R-rated, I am all I, down
1: for it yeah no, i i dude i got lots of stories man i just don't i don't know where to pick from i had those were the four of the best years of my life i i i can't say that enough it was i met so many great people folks that I am friends with to this day um, and had so many fun experiences that it's, it would be so hard to choose from. Um, I do, that's a, it's a, that's a good question, but it was, it was that much of a good time uh, and, a, and a great period in my life uh, that it would be hard to pick out even a few moments (laughs) i had so many oh man i just oh man game day was always fun like the tailgating experience i'll tell you a story that kind of led to how i met my wife so back in the day before the bryce jordan center was built and you know a lot of the things around the stadium were there, as you see it them today. It was wide open space. It was wide open, just nothing but grass. And the tailgating was off the chain. (laughs) You think tailgating is good now? Back in the day, dude, there was just nothing but cars and RVs for as far as the eye could see And you were allowed to bring kegs in. I I remember I had a buddy who had a pickup truck and we would just load like eight kegs, as many kegs as we could get in the back of of the pickup truck and and tailgate like there was no tomorrow. Um, And that experience was always so fun. Sometimes the tailgates would be so good that you wouldn't even go into the games. (laughs) 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 Uh, But anyway... So my experience on game day tailgating was, was, was epic. And years later, I worked with a guy who went to university of Florida. Uh, So he was, and he's like the biggest gator nut you could ever imagine. And he was all about, man, back in the day, like Florida tailgating was like crazy and it was great. And, you know, we would do the Florida Georgia game, which was like, they, they used to call it the world's largest cocktail party. And <laughs> like, we knew how to do it. And I'm like, no, nah, we knew how to do it. Yeah. So we would get into these like arguments, you know, friendly arguments about who had the best like football experience. And I was like, nothing compares to happy Valley. Even when I went there, when it was just 80,000 seats, uh, obviously, you know, it's grown since then. Um, but we were like, I was working at Variety at the time, which is an entertainment, you know, Bible news, news publication. And I was like, I, I think this could be a show like this could like, you know, I had met a guy that created America's home home videos at a, at a dinner party one night. And I'm like, that's such a simple concept. Yeah. You know, I can I could come up with a show idea. So we actually came up with an idea for a television show called American Tailgater. And it was the, the premise of the show was we're going to travel around the country and find the the best tailgating experiences. And so everyone across the country can see how they do it. What are the, the traditions? You know, what are the games? What are the superstitions that all these, these fans have across the country? And um, we shot a, a a a pilot episode at the UCLA, Arizona state game. So we got a permit to shoot at the Rose bowl and uh, that was going to be our pilot episode. So I I brought on my wife who was a friend of, she wasn't my wife at the time, but, but my future wife who was a friend of one of the producers. And that's how I met my wife. We're like, I was like, I don't know anything about directing and cameras and sound. Like we need to find somebody who knows how to do that. And uh, one, of my, one of my producers was like, I know this girl came in uh, who's a director. I was in one of her movies once. I think she could do this. So we actually brought her on to executive produce the show. And then we shopped it around town and nobody bought it.
0: But
1: I met my wife out of the deal. So hey,
0: hey. yeah. Sometimes the best deals in life don't come yeah. easy but yeah. yeah
1: but my my fondest memories are you know being with my friends uh you know partying at the the G man which is no longer there which is Permanny Brothers now i think um Good idea um uh, i am i am probably one of the worst like people to ask
0: about penn state history because I only thought about applying to Penn State in like the last few years. Like (laughs) not not many relatives, I think only a handful of my relatives went to Penn State and they weren't necessarily like young enough for me to go up and visit them at the time. So I was like, I didn't really start until, well, actually funny story. So this is how I got interested in Penn State my godfather and I are watching Penn state upset Ohio state in the whiteout game. Oh, white wow. It was yeah. four or five years ago, whenever it was
1: 2016, 17.
0: 16. Yeah. The blocked field goal, the whole. Yeah. Oh goal. yeah. So we're watching the game and my godfathers goes, why don't you think about applying to Penn state? And I was like, uh, you know, I wasn't really interested. I haven't really had it on my radar. I was sick of, all the people in my school saying like, go Penn state. We are, we are like, I was sick of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Penn state, like And then he was like, he was like, is that actually what you think? Do you actually dislike Penn state for a legitimate reason other than people talk about it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, now that I think about it, maybe not. And I swear verbatim, this is what he said. Form your own fucking opinions. and <laughs> come on, I've been on on my own doing my own thing. So So, thank, thank God. He's my Godfather.
1: So where, 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 if you were, you know, what colleges were on your radar at the time?
0: I was looking at the Naval Academy, Mm -hmm. um, Syracuse. Yeah. My brother and sister both went to Fordham as undergrad. Yeah. Uh, Boston college, because my brother eventually went to grad school at Boston college. Um, And then some of the safety schools, like St. Joe's, Temple. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: Philly area schools.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was, because at first I was like, I want to do a naval career. And then I got, and then I visited the academy and I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about this one. Yeah,
1: not so much. Yeah. I
0: I wasn't a big fan of that. So my dad was like, all right, apply to Penn State. See if you like the ROTC program. ROTC program within a week. Yeah. Gone. Drop that. Yeah. 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 Listen, yeah. this just doesn't work for me. So when people ask me, like, "Oh yeah, like you should know, like this draft pick from like 1985," I'm like, "Listen, I, right. I'm still catching up here. My yeah. software is still updating on all the yeah. alumni. <laughs> it's, it's been, yeah. but it's been fun. I, I cannot wait for my first Penn State football game. It's going
1: to be so much fun. And yeah. honestly, I just, no. it's 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 a, it's a hell of a tradition." and uh something you'll you'll carry with you for a long time you know my kids are you know they they watch a little bit of of the games with me um my oldest just started getting into watching sports with me so he's like all (laughs) in on the nba playoffs we watch the steelers and eagles games every weekend and now you know he knows Penn State because he, but he never he's never watched an entire football game with me before. So I, I, I think <laughs> since he's been watching entire Eagles and Steelers games with me, I think this is going to be the first year where he watches an entire Penn State game with me.
0: Especially, it's a second second week on our schedule is Ohio State, so that's got to be a that's got to be a game. You got you got to sit him down, just be like, yeah. don't move. Yeah. I will get anything you need. Yeah. That
1: will be me as a dad. Last year, I think it was last year, Penn State, Ohio State. Um, we need a – it's the final minute of the game. We need a first down. And yeah. Franklin calls an up-the-gut play. Was it two years ago? It might have been – it was two years ago because Miles Sanders was still on the team. Yeah. And we ran him up the gut. And McSorley is, is throwing the ball very well. At, at this time, and we had a fourth and five and Franklin's call was up the up the middle and I'm like, and of course we got stopped we didn't get the you know, we didn't convert and I was like, what the fuck what the fuck and I'm like I said it like ten times in a row, not knowing that my youngest son who's five or four <laughs> here's- so the next day Sunday, uh, he comes in, prancing. He's like, daddy, daddy. I'm like, what's up, bud? He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, not that's. Not oh, my God. Yeah. So. Hey, he's learning early. Yeah, he's learning early. And my wife, who you've met, is always like, you know, she would always be like, when they were really young, he's like, You're scaring the kids like <laughs> way too much during football. She's like, You really got to, you know, calm down. You know, typically, I listen to her and I'm like, You're right, honey. Uh, I, I do need to watch it. But my response was like, you know what? They're going to have to get used to this. <laughs> 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 it's like, it's all bullying. There is no way around. I cannot be quiet while I'm watching sports. Yeah. Uh, especially, as you know, as a Philly fan, there is no way you're not cursing at the television. <laughs> no, there's, <laughs> no shot. there's no shot. Uh, they are habitual, like, disappointments on, on so many levels, except for two years ago uh, when, when the Eagles won. But, uh, you know, watching Carson Wentz this year has been just traumatizing.
0: So, uh, speaking of that, who you got? Who do you think we should have kept, Foles or
1: Wentz? You know what? Here's the deal with, with Foles. Uh, Foles is, you know, I've watched him, you know, when his first go around with the Eagles, when, uh, when he came in, you know, when he first got to the Eagles, he came in in sort of like a relief situation and mm-hmm. like, he wasn't the starter in the beginning of the year. And he well, came got in injured. Yep. He got, he got, he lit it up. And I think he plays well in that situation where he comes off, uh, comes, uh, comes in to to relieve a situation. When he's the man, is when he struggles. I mean, yes. look, he, when he's the man, he struggles. Like he came in two weeks ago, relieved Trubisky, lit it up, threw two touchdowns, and then the next week is a starter. <laughs> He's a dude, Like I don't. He's like the tail of two quarterbacks. Um, however, I don't know if we're getting much more out of Wentz right now. Okay. Um, he's, so he's, my position
0: on this is right now. I would not want Wentz if I had to choose between the two. Obviously, Wentz yeah. has played horribly, but it looked like he bounced back in that last game against San Francisco. Barely. Hopefully, there's some. Yeah. Hopefully, he can get it together. But two things, the Eagles do not get in the position to win the
1: Super Bowl if Nick Foles is starting the entire season. I no, 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 no. I don't, no, I no, don't no. believe that. I, I agree with you 100%. And I was at that Rams game, um, by the way, when, when Wentz got hurt. Um, yeah, it was, it was all Eagles in the stadium, by the way. Um, it was it was like an Eagles home game when we uh, <laughs> when, Rams, when we went to the Rams game. Uh, but I I remember uh, Foles uh, dove uh, for the end zone, scored, and then no one knew he just he was out of the game. Like Nick Foles came in, and when you're at the game, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you no, know he's not on the field. Even so everybody
0: watching, even when you're yeah. watching, Wentz is walking yeah. back to the tunnel. You're like, okay, I don't think it's an ACL because right. he's walking. Right.
1: So everybody's on social media and then you get on and like, oh, shit, it starts to permeate throughout the stadium that we think his ACL is torn and he's out for the year. And we're like, really? Like, he's having an MVP season. It looks like they're on track to do what they eventually did. But he's out. So everybody's like, well, there you go. That's Philly. Season over. All right. right. Well, Philly time. Philly time showed up again. And, you know, for for Foles to come in. Foles came in, again, in relief, uninhibited, took chances. The play calling changed. I think he's a better deep ball thrower um, than than Wentz is. And I thought, thought, you know, it was like all bets are off. We're just going to fucking go for it. Exactly. And and otherwise, I think the offense would have been structured a little bit different. Uh, And no, I don't think the Eagles get to the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, I think he came
0: in at the perfect timing to somehow get this team being like, all right, fuck it. We have all these injuries, but we we can still win this. We can still keep going. And, like, only Philly could have – players that wear dog masks and have their quarterback nickname, Big Dick Nick. Like, that's, that's – that's yeah. Philly, if Philly – if Eagles history does not – No. Cannot be condensed into that, I don't know what can be. I know. And I think – I think that team was just like, all right, everyone thinks we're going to lose. Like, we got to remind everyone who we are. And yeah. he was just – Chucking bombs to Jeffrey the entire postseason and it was unbelievable was it. postseason.
1: Season. The play calling in the Super Bowl was some of the best play calling I've ever seen. In my yeah, life. and I think Peterson got away from that early in the season with this did. season, hurt them. And he did.
0: He did obviously. Yeah. We're leading the NFC East. So that's all that matters.
1: <laughs> first, place. <laughs> first place, baby, let's go. NFC least. It, uh, yeah, okay. it really
0: is. It's yeah. I, I tried to fight that for a lot of years. And then I was like, there's we're one, two, and one and leading the division. Like right. how yeah. this shouldn't be happening. Cool. Um, so just to wrap up this interview, I have this little segment I like to call called off the dome, which is just like five lightning round questions. Um, So I'll start off with this one. What's worse, L.A. traffic or State College Winters?
1: L.A. traffic.
0: (laughs) By far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've heard nightmare stories. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, So do you have a favorite album or song of all time? Uh, Purple Rain, Prince. Fair enough. I respect that. (laughs) Sheets
1: or Wawa? Ooh. I gotta go. Wawa. Yes. All all those, all those sheets. Dogs got me through a lot of late nights. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Chili dogs, man. Yeah. Definitely Wawa. I've
0: I've definitely been suspicious of those a little bit. I've walked into sheets a couple times, and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know
1: about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're sober, you you think that. If you're not sober, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I could definitely um so what was
0: more surreal at meeting henry hill or winning an emmy
1: wow uh probably the emmy emmy yeah 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 i could see I, that made, that's that's kind of like a one and one a though because goodfellas is my favorite movie Yes, yes. So to have to be having Henry Hill in my house, you know, <laughs> drinking wine and me talking to him about Goodfellas in terms of like, what was real? Like, did this really happen? Like, you know, that was pretty surreal. Um, but the the Emmy was definitely the the um, the icing on the cake. Definitely. Yeah. Um,
0: so in general, now that you have a position at Tumblr, I want to ask you a little bit about social media. Which yep. do you? which social media do you platform? Do you use the most Facebook by far? Really? Yeah. And, and that's I'm just, a because, guy. Uh, what's that? I figured you'd be a big Twitter guy. I don't know why. I'm but.
1: not actually uh, Twitter's uh, probably like third. I am definitely not as active on Twitter. I used to be. Um, I'm, I'm not as much anymore. I, 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 I depends on the event i love twitter when i'm watching something like uh like the debates last night twitter's golden you know something happens um that's happening in the zeitgeist of of pop culture or whatever at the time i i think twitter is a fantastic place to be uh but i post a lot of kid pictures of my kids because of our our family uh is on the East coast for the most part and mm-hmm. Canada and we don't get to see our family a lot. So, Fair and most of my family is on Facebook. <clears throat> so I, I tend to post a lot of things there. Yeah. I mean, my mom uses Facebook all the time. I, I, exactly. So I older, I'm old but, too. But the difference
0: so. is that we don't live in LA. My, my grandparents are like 45 minutes away. Right,
1: right, 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 like, right. I, have, I think I have 2,500 friends on Facebook, so that's probably where I have the most followers. So I feel like that's very impressive, yeah. but I don't know.
0: <laughs> Facebook, Facebook <laughs> I have no idea. That is, a, <laughs> that is a strange land that I will not venture into most of the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey guys hope you enjoyed the episode make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms as well as podcast services like apple podcasts spotify google podcasts all that good stuff Uh, your subscription and follows mean just as much as you actually playing the episode uh thanks again for listening um and i hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and hopefully you enjoyed this one so